0: to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Rana Gujral, CEO of
1: Behavioral Signals. Behavioral Signals was really driven from this sort of really intrinsic desire to improve, you know, voice communications and take it to the next level. Whether it's a communication happening between two humans or whether it's a communication happening between a machine and a human, the best utopian experience that sort of matches our human interests. And that's led to the whole voice-first design movement. The whole promise was that we are going to take this to the next level, which means we're going to talk to our devices and devices are going to communicate back to us as humans do, and we could use those experiences to kind of replace some of those elements in our livelihoods and use those as companions, but that hasn't happened. That is why we are actually very rude to voice assistants in general, because we feel that beneath us, not because it's a machine, we know it's a machine, of course, it's not a human, but we also feel that, hey, it doesn't have the basic capability to understand how I feel. So, you know, our mission is to really take that interaction to the next level. This is Rana.
0: He's an entrepreneur, speaker, and investor. He founded Tietze, a cloud software for specialty chemicals in 2014. He was then recruited to be a part of the core turnaround team for Cricket Inc. Where he built the first of its kind product for the do-it-yourself community, and helped turn bankruptcy into profitability within a span of two years. Rana also held leadership positions at Logitech and Kronos, where he was responsible for the development of best-in-class products, generating billions of revenue, and contributed towards several award-winning engineering innovations. He has been awarded the Entrepreneur of the Month by CIO Magazine and the US-China Power Award by IEIE. He was listed amongst the eight AI entrepreneurs to watch in 2019 by Inc Magazine, and as well as the top 10 entrepreneurs to follow in 2017 by Huffington Post. Today, he's the CEO of Behavioral Signals, an enterprise software company that delivers a robust and fast-evolving emotion AI engine that introduces emotional intelligence into speech recognition technology. And this triggered me, and hence I invited him to my podcast. We explored the challenges with today's voice technology and what has kept it from reaching its true potential. We discuss a variety of use cases that will create transformative experiences and impact when some of these limitations are taken away. Not only for us as individuals, but also at the level of business and society at large. And by listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that solving critical problems is often not about following the right process, but connecting people that are at the same wavelength. Secondly, why the secret behind creating momentum behind the adoption of your application is in making it human and empathetic. Thirdly, how you can exponentially grow the impact your solution can create for your customers by capturing intent rather than the transaction. And fourthly, how imagination and your ability to connect the dots and turn that into a vision are essential skills to create a remarkable software business. Rana, thank you for making the time available today on my podcast and looking forward to our call about your company, Behavioral Signal.
1: Thank you, Don. And it's been a real pleasure being on your show. Thanks for the invite. Oh, we haven't started yet. (laughs) It is to be seen, but all
0: positive, all positive. Now you're going to to like this. So before we go and talk about your company, which you started in 2016, a little bit about you, not your whole background, but... Typically, what characterizes you? If you would have to describe yourself in two or three words,
1: what words to come up? That's challenging. Two or three words about myself. I think I'm always seeking new adventures. I'd say in learning new skills, I think for the most part, new skills is really important for me, which is doing things or building capabilities. Personally, I'm talking about not myself, not about my company, is an essential part of living for me. Which means if I catch myself doing something that I've done many times before or is stuff that I feel is not a new capability for me, I suddenly realize that that's not fulfilling. And so then I seek new challenges and then I go towards a problem that I haven't solved before I haven't tackled. And then I really get enamored by how am I going to go ahead and make that happen. And that's been like the sum of my journey. If I go look back, you know, through my entire career, it's been that mental thought process. It's been, it's really been that mindset that's been behind all the changes that I've made or the moves that I've made or the new things that I've taken on, which is about, yeah, that'd be an exciting thing or, you know, let's see how that can happen. So let's go ahead and do that. So, it's really that's the primal sort of intrinsic, I guess, the behavior that drives all my actions.
0: Yeah, well, it's a really good one. Curiosity is a big element of that, I would say. You got a framework for this, by the way? I mean, because a lot of times the challenge is to recognize it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you got to be, and I feel not everyone finds it easy to do, but you got to be able to really understand yourself. And you got to really look inside and think about and sort of reflect on who you really are and be okay with it and be comfortable with that. And once you do that, then you got to live a true life and then you got to really sort of, you know, live on the terms that you want to live on and do things that you want to do. And everything else falls in line. I believe you really have to do it. What I find is, I mean, I've had this conversation with many, many smart people, especially in the education system that we have today is that we follow templates you know oftentimes those templates are society driven and oftentimes that's culturally driven and so but you're expected to do certain things and you expect it to follow certain paths and you expect it to fit in certain molds and with that you know what happens in a template is you follow it (laughs) that's the whole point of being a template having a template and so when you get into and say okay i want to you know, go be a professional of some sort, then you get into that 10 plus two education, then a a professional degree, and then you get into, say, maybe I'll get my BA and I'll go get my job in technology and then keep following that. You stop thinking about what you really want to do and who you really are. And eventually people do, but it's, I think it's too late. I mean, you get to a point in your career where you're now, you know, you realize that, hey, something's off. But you're too far down that lane and you look back and you're like, you know, there's too much baggage. There's too much, you know, chaos that will incur if you were to now switch. And so people live unfulfilled lives, not in terms of material wealth, but in terms of personal fulfillment. And so I think that's the thing, which is at the end of the day, you know, I feel that's the model, you know, which is stop and reflect and think and recalibrate and then adjust. Make those adjustments. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I sometimes compare it with uh, following a map, the template, or following a compass. Yeah. And the compass at the end is about okay. I want to go there, but I don't know how to go there. I'm going to go the on un- the unpaved route. Learn new skills, etc. So
1: figure it out right. myself. And the part of going there changes, right? So yeah. you want to go there, but a few years down the line, you might choose to say, you know, I don't want to go there anymore. I want to go here. But that realization will only come in once you stop and think and reflect and ask that question again. Which is, uh, do I really want to still go there, or do I yeah. want to do something?
0: Well, I mean, that brings me to a really important question at the end: is uh, what is the starting point? What was the spark behind Behavioral Signal, your company?
1: Yeah. So you know, Behavioral Signals was really driven from this sort of really intrinsic desire to improve. You know voice communications and take it to the next level. Whether it's a communication happening between two humans, or whether it's a communication happening between a machine and a human. And I mean, if you sort of take a step back and sort of think about how powerful voice communication is over other forms of communication, right? So either you're communicating through body language or facial expressions, or just typing things out, the most natural intrinsic way for us to communicate with each other is through talking to each other yep. and you know you don't need language for that because you oftentimes can talk to and communicate with others even without language or words as kids do or babies do right babies communicate with you they don't know how to speak they don't understand your language they don't know how to speak german or french or, or spanish but they can communicate very rich communication lots of emotions so it's primal we're born with that and we discovered that about 10, 15 years ago that, hey, yeah, that's how it should be. And so this is sort of the birth of voice-first revolution, which led to the birth of you know, these interfaces where which allow us to speak to devices and you know, allow us to sort of have no touch experiences. And so sort of like the, the genesis of from typing to just touching, which is more natural than typing to actually not even touching and just speaking to a yeah. device, whether it's your car or your smartphone or your laptop or your car for that matter. And so we've discovered that this is great. This is what it needs to be. And this is the this is the best utopian experience that sort of matches our human interests. And that's led to the whole voice-first design movement, which is like build your products and build your experiences uh, f- for voice-first not as an afterthought, but build it for voice first and then build out other experiences around it. But then if you stop and think about what's happened in this space, right? NLP, NLU, or really specifically speech-to-text or ASR, automatic speech recognition, was considered to be cutting edge, not too far back. I mean, say let's say five to seven years ago, this was uh-huh. the technology. Fast forward into 2020, it's really a commoditized tech. You have very advanced software systems that can very accurately translate audio into words without any errors. And you know, you can build some compelling experiences around that. You, you can build call center systems to automate stuff, you could build intelligent sentiment AI systems, you can build you know capabilities like virtual assistants, which allow you to speak something and it translates your audio into words and in search intelligent results and respond to you based on that. So that's great. But It kind of sort of like, you know, the whole promise was that we are going to take this to the next level, which means we're going to talk to our devices and devices are going to communicate back to us as humans do. And we could use those experiences to kind of replace some of those elements in our livelihoods and use those as companions. But that hasn't happened, right? So if you were to think about, you know, that whole experience of voice interaction, we are driven by the fact that how do you take it to the next level, right? Yeah. So if you're if you're speaking with somebody or if you're speaking with a device or, you know, a machine for that matter, a big aspect of the communication is understanding the cognitive state of mind, right? So if you and I are speaking, we're doing a video chat, but let's say if you're doing a phone call, we're not just focused on the words. We're also focused very much on how you're saying those words yeah. and how you're speaking those words, which means, which that that translates into how you're feeling. And that translates into, are you relating to what I'm saying? You know, are you in alignment or are you sort of not in alignment? Are you happy? Are you angry? Are you sad? And then what I have to say after that, has to take all of those things into account before responding to you, not just what you're saying, right? So here's an example, right? So if I ask you a simple question and say, Tone, would you like to do this? And you respond back with a very sarcastic, sure. I know what sure means, but I also sense sarcasm. And that sensing of sarcasm is really important for me because that tells me that you don't really mean it. You're saying sure, but you don't mean it. So my response typically would be, okay, maybe now is not a good time to do it. But if you take that simple interaction and you take that emotion context out of it and the behavioral context out of it, then it is very inaccurate, right? And that's what happens with virtual assistants today. So if Alexa asks a question and say, would you like to do this? And you respond back with a very sarcastic, sure. She's like, great, let's do it. And that is why you would never think of that device as a human substitute. And that is why we are actually very rude to voice assistants in general, because we feel that beneath us, not because it's a machine. We know it's a machine, of course, it's not a human But we also feel that, hey, it doesn't have the basic capability to understand how I feel. So, you know, our mission is to really take that interaction to the next level, right? So what we do, our superpowers are around, you know, analyzing the voice interactions and then focusing on the tonality, the pitch and tonal variance. We don't tend to focus too much on the words being spoken. In fact, we don't focus on that at all what we go after is how those words are being spoken and from the analysis of the tonality we unravel a variety of insights emotion insights behavioral insights and even go far as far as intent insights so we can predict intent so if you have a very specific interaction happening in a specific context we can predict what a participant is going to do in the near future what actions the persons to take with very, very high levels of accuracy. So those things then open the possibilities to a variety of interesting use cases in human side and human to machine side. And so we feel you have to cross that border. You have to cross that bridge and that line, that border to take the voice interaction to the next level. And affect AI and emotion AI and behavioral AI is what is going to help us cross that chasm because we're plateaued. We're plateaued. I mean, voice interaction was amazing, great, excellent, brilliant, and then nothing's happened in the last yep. seven, eight years. And it won't, right? I mean, that interaction won't go to the next level until some of these capabilities come into play. Yeah, I agree. So just because something can speak doesn't mean it's
0: adding value or it's actually doing something meaningful. And I completely agree with you. The moment you get the wrong type of response, which is... The response that you just gave, how you react to or just a simple word like sure, it becomes something that you don't trust anymore. And as a consequence, you, do, you, just, you don't use it. Yeah. So it needs to stop. And I completely agree with you. The moment that doesn't happen, you doesn't cross that chasm. Yeah, Until that moment, it won't happen. So but here is something, okay, so you're going to bridge that. It's the next generation. Technology, I think, is getting very much ready for this. What is the opportunity if we get this right?
1: Like, what will the world look like? Once this is mastered? I mean, I think there is a whole plethora of possibilities. And we're actually already seeing that happen. And let's, let's sort of take it piece by piece, right? So when we are applying in terms of sort of like sort of just cultural shifts, as a society, we're becoming very transactional. And you know, we're becoming efficient, we're becoming more productive, but we're definitely very transactional. And the one aspect that's lacking in our interactions is empathy. You know, in general, even as countries and culturally, we're becoming very less empathetic. And so that's a very, very negative shift. And we're going towards uh, situations and scenarios where you know, it's not a good, happy human experience. And so we have to course correct on that. And so now, you know, how can behavioral AI and emotional AI help with that whole process and that experience? So today we apply our capabilities into a variety of human-to-human use cases such as helping a call center agent who's on a call with a client and helping the agent in real time as the conversation's progressing so yeah. if the engine's analyzing the conversation and it's guiding the agent uh, with cues and saying hey you're sounding angry or you're speaking too fast or the client sounds angry or by the way you know the tone of the conversation is suddenly shifted towards negative hey, To that or towards positive so pay attention to that so those are the points to reflect and say hey what did i say that turned this very negative conversation into positive you know let's build on that so those things and you'd say okay well on those capabilities that humans are naturally equipped to do yes if you're paying attention to it but you're not paying attention to it and that's the problem especially like you know in business communications where there's repeated calling happening and you're speaking to hundreds of clients a day You're tuning those cues out. So somebody needs to help you. Somebody needs to guide you and say, hey, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And once it's called your attention, now you're paying attention. And from that perspective, it allows for a much more improved uh, user experience, right? So what does it result into? Okay, here's a possibility. So imagine in a very near future, you end up at an airport where you're lost and you don't know where your terminal's at. And you're finding that information sign, that I sign, you know, typically where there's a human there who can help you. What usually happens is there's no human under that I sign. It's empty. But when there is a human, that human doesn't speak your language because it's a foreign country, which is the whole point of that person to be able to sort of guide you. Or even if the person actually exists and speaks your language, the person doesn't really have the knowledge to guide you. So imagine if you're going there in the future and there's a robot or there's a kiosk that you could speak to. And that person understands your language fluently, translates that into the answer that you really need. But on top of that, you know, and says that, hey, by the way, you sound really stressed, your terminal is 20 minutes away, and you got plenty of time. So relax, right? And so that makes all the difference, right? Which is like, you know, I didn't ask you, If i have enough time or not but you sense the stress in my voice and then you help me and sort of do that which is what you would expect a human to do on the other side and so if things like that happen you know imagine the possibilities of a customer service call where you are speaking to somebody who instantly recognizes you because of voice biometrics pulls up all the information in a second knows exactly what you want and not only is guiding you through the specific questions you have but is also relates to your frame of mind so it's happy it, you know it's building on that if you are angry then you know it's been really patient really tactful and guiding you through that except for the fact that there is no human behind it that that thing that entity is going to do that every time without fail and it's never going to be tired and it's going to never necessarily talk back or lose its cool, you know, or sort of show passive aggression or, you know, do anything to piss you off even further. And those experiences do not exist anymore. We've talked about those experiences that, you know, that would be the perfect customer experience that those can be built. Those can be yeah. built. I mean, other, on the other side, I mean, you could build a social robots that can truly give you companionship. And you could speak to it and just not speaking to it from a voice search engine standpoint, but just speaking to it just because you want to have a conversation. You want to have a conversation and it understands you and understands your frame of mind. And it, it can have that conversation because not only it's knowledgeable about the topic or the subject that you're speaking to, but it's knowledgeable about your frame of mind and reacts to it as a human would. And that latter part is missing, right? I mean... So for that part, I mean the possibilities are truly endless. You know, we're right now also looking at cars that sense your stress and distress, and you know, yeah. help you get there safely.
0: Yeah, I think it can prevent prevent a whole lot of nasty things from happening. It can make people a lot more relaxed, well, than that they would normally be. So talking about that that whole evolution, you started your company in 2016. There was this plateau in terms of what could be done with with voice. You're taking it to the next level. What I'm always interested in is, is this, this whole, yeah, how do you say it, innovation route. So what have you done specifically to, or was there maybe one thing that you did different from what the rest was doing in order that, to create a remarkable bridge, remarkable, yeah, to bridge
1: that gap? Yeah. So very, very, first off, I mean, just the intrinsic DNA for the company is very research oriented and we were born out of research in us from usc university of southern california oh, and yeah. our founders are very very renowned academics who are well-known scientists in the space who have really dedicated their lives to specific aspects of research in voice interactions and in nlp and in the tonal and the tonal interaction analysis and so with that the primary DNA, the, the primary focus of the company has been around, you know, of technology first and getting to those breakthroughs that would allow for newer capabilities around voice first. And we've come a long, long way, right? So there's a lot of different ways you could use to measure how far along we've come, but let me give you a very simple. So in technical terms, in academic circles, we use something called an F-score. F-score is a combination of precision and recall. Uh-huh. And it measures the level of accuracy and the level of false alerts that you typically would get, you know, in any any sort of deep tech capability like Emotion AI. And so if you were to sort of think about where we are today and use humans as a benchmark, right? So humans are average, are different humans' abilities because humans are different in their ability, especially, you know, generally females are better equipped at catching emotions than men do. Exactly. They're just better at that. But if you sort of average it out and you look at sort of where humans are at and benchmark that, today, our engine is 96% of human ability, so which means wow. we are, you know, almost as good as human. By fall of 2020, we expect to go to a little bit over 100%. So what that means is our engine will be better at deducing emotions and behaviors from the tone of voice than humans themselves are today. And that's important. And the reason why that's important is because, you know, any technology really comes to its true form when you achieve a certain levels of accuracy. Before that, it's a lab exercise. It's an interesting research paper. But once you're able to get to certain levels of accuracy, then you can apply it towards solving real problems, especially in business context, especially with enterprise clients, which require a certain bar. So we've been able to get to certain... Last year, we've had amazing breakthroughs. We were able to get to certain benchmarks around sort of predicting, sort of, you know, and detecting anger in tone of voice between 80 to 85% accurate. The prediction engines that we've built... So, for example, we can predict if that holder who's in a conversation with an agent will pay or not pay. Within the first 30 seconds of the conversation, we can make a binary prediction, yes or no. And that prediction is between 82 to 85% accurate. And keeping in mind that we have no clue who this person is, no access to the data, credit score, the amount of debt we have, you're simply analyzing that conversation. And in the first 30 seconds of the conversation, you can make that prediction. We actually had a very interesting use case last year. We started to work with a National Bank of a European nation, which was primarily focused on using our capabilities in their call centers and the call center they chose to use was call center that was really dealing with non performing loans which is a big problem in europe in general as you know i mean you know almost 3 to 5% of all loans in europe are non performing which is yeah. almost a 630 billion euro problem <laughs> and a lot of banks a lot of banks face that problem and so in that context what we built for them was a capability to match the agents with the right customer. But the way we did it was interesting. The engine analyzed recent interactions between the agent and the client and without converting the audio into text, which means the entire privacy of the conversation was maintained. We were able to create behavioral profiles of the participants. And based on those profiles, we were then able to create matches. And when we implemented that solution, what we saw was a 20% improvement in outcomes from the agents that were using it, which actually for this particular bank, that was $300 million upside, million and a half dollar per agent per year. So think about that. Let me make a small interruption here. Rana just made an excellent remark
0: about how he's leveraging technology to unlock remarkable value for his customers. Not by making the process faster, smoother, or less error prone, but by matching people that are on the same wavelength and with that he's creating new value possibilities by doing something we've not been able to do before and that's generating a 300 million upside for that particular customer creating new value possibilities is a core trait that defines a remarkable software business the opportunities are all around us we just need to develop an eye for it so you can master that trade as well and to start i'd recommend you getting a copy of my book the remarkable effect in which I review the 10 traits that define the software businesses that we just keep talking about. You can find it on
1: Amazon or any other portal where they sell books online. Back to the interview. An agent using the capabilities of our engine and working on the matches that we prescribed was able to collect a million and a half dollars in additional revenue in forms of restructured loans when compared to... And why? Because... They were just matched to the people who were on the the same wavelength. I mean, and that's what happens. I mean, that's the real uh, magic story here is any conversation that we're having, either personal or business, when we connect, when we're on the same wavelength and when we like each other, that's the important part. Then we're going to get to better outcomes, right? Whether it is dating side or whether it is a conversation that's happening with a salesperson client or, you know, uh, interview, it doesn't matter. Right, So the question is then how do we connect the right people and how yeah. do we do it in a scalable fashion? And so I think that's the whole magic. So if you, I, mean, it's, I mean, I can go on, but there's a very no, diverse... No, no, fantastic. That, that, ...that where this magic plays out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about it in my book, but then the other way around, you know? I mean, it's, it's all about yeah, being very specific about who is your ideal client. And that all comes down to not to, to demographics, but to psychographics, which means at the end you're on the same... You think the same, you have the same type of values, you care about the same type of things, you're on the same wavelength. Yeah. So you do it the, opp- the opposite around you, you understand what the behavior is of a particular customer, and you pair it with the right agent. Very smart. So I mean, what I'm interested in is, t- I mean, how do you go your whole go to market process here? What have you you learned in getting this to market, And what do you believe is your biggest, yeah,
1: how do you say that? growth inhibitor? I mean, so for the most part, you know, in the recent last few months, first off, I mean, we're still sort of finding that balance between research and commercialization. Yeah, okay. Uh, because, you know, we don't want to just focus on, you know, just building a specific product and pushing that out. We also are very committed to pushing the needle on the technology. But with that, the happy balance that we've found is a to b model, which is taking our technology and then partnering with other specific product and vertical leads in certain, you know, certain certain sectors that are also technology and product companies and then enabling them to, you know, go after use cases that they were unable to go after or improve their game in that use cases. Smart. So yeah. that necessarily translates into our Technology being used behind the scenes, white-labeled or OEMed, and other larger companies are sort of productizing it and using it. It could be a call center application. It could be a speech analytic solution. It could be a conversational AI stack and all of those products benefit from our core capabilities. Yep. What we're also doing now is building some very specific products for specific verticals that we are bringing to market more in the B2B fashion, which is we're directly bringing that product to the customer you know, without the middle layer. And that's the example I gave to you, which is we built a very specific profile pairing engine towards the goal of matching the right agent with the right client, and we've fine-tuned yep. that engine to really maximize the debt collection outcomes, or help with very complex, emotion-rich conversations, as would be in a conversation between somebody who's trying to convince you to, re- you know, restructure loans in a manner that you don't take out of context or don't take personally, because you know those those, those are very emotion-rich conversations. So that's a specific product towards non-performing loans towards banks that we're you to market, and there are other specialized products like building a real-time assist that guides an agent in real time as the conversation is progressing. And there's another product that really analyzes the conversation after the fact, gathers insights, and is used for coaching and coaching the agent, so behavioral coaching product. So those are some of the specific products that are more B2B side. Outside of that, there's a whole variety of use cases that we simply bring to market by partnering up with other companies.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like that model. That's where you become the platform and I mean, you get a lot more scale with that. And of course, then you enable the companies that once you get into the the mindset of what is possible, then yeah, those cases can go a lot, a lot farther. We're reaching, well, the top of the, the hour or, the, or the, the bottom of the hour here. But one more question in relation to the book that I wrote, The Remarkable Effect. In that book, I focus on the 10 traits that define remarkable software companies. And you're definitely transforming. An industry here. I'm not even talking about an industry. Maybe it's like you're transforming society almost. <laughs> so what do you believe is, is a trait that, that CEOs or that, that
1: companies need to have in order to become remarkable at what they do? There's a lot of traits that go into being remarkable. And I, I'd say, you know, there's complex set of capabilities and skills that you need to bring to the equation to really stand out and make a difference and disrupt. But I think if you don't have the ability to we started to talk about this initially is to imagine or if you don't have an imagination and that translates into having a vision, then you're not going to be remarkable i'd say i mean if you if you you may have a variety of other things going for you, you may have brilliant teams and you have a tremendous amount of resources, and you may have all of those things, and you may have the geopolitical factors backing you and all that stuff. But you're still not going to be remarkable if you don't have imagination and you don't have vision. And that is hard, much harder than it sounds. It's not just daydreaming. It's about processing a lot of data, dedicating your life towards a certain thing, whatever that thing is, and connecting dots. And thinking of possibilities—that's what it takes, yeah. right? And it's not just uh, thinking about random things and say, "I have a vision, let's go do that." So, if you like, if you think about like really impressive leaders, like you know, Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, and they're very unconventional and they're also very disruptive, but they have an imagination. They're thinking about something and they talk about that. And most people think about that as just sort of musings. It's like you know, he's talking about something and you know, it's talking about taking people to Mars and this and that. Is he crazy? He's connecting dots. That conversation that he's having is after processing lots of data. I mean, you would have no time in just using that as an example. Probably, you know, dedicating years and years of sort of listening and looking and thinking and sort of, now that you have that vision and your imagination, let's work towards it. That's True. probably the number one thing that you need to have to be remarkable outside of a whole lot of other things that you would still need
0: (laughs) no i mean i came up with 10 traits myself and well the the first one starts with what's your big oh what's your what's the big idea and that's the vision at the end that's how it all starts 100 so thank you for that so what is next for you what is your what is your biggest aspiration
1: for the next 12 24 months I mean, the next thing for us is to continue to do what we've been doing in terms of pushing the needle on the technology that we're very, very passionate and focused on. For the last couple of years, we've largely focused on human-to-human communication and really bought some compelling use cases and differentiated abilities into call center stacks and conversational AI stacks and speech analytics stacks. The next thing for us, the next frontier is human to machine communication. And we're starting to work on that with some certain really interesting companies. And we feel that there's an amazing amount of opportunities and amazing amount of experiences waiting for us at Spectrum. So that's the future. And we're taking some steps towards that.
0: I'll keep following you. So where can people find out more about, say, your company behavioral signal or to connect with you to say hi?
1: Yeah, find us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. You can go to my webpage, which is ranagujral.com and send me a message if there's something, you know, some crazy idea that you would like to ideate on. You know, I, I talk to new people all the time. And so with that, you know, we're very active on social media. So if there's something you'd like to talk to us about, tweet us, connect with us on our website itself or any of these media platforms.
0: Yeah, that's behavioraltechnal.com, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you very much. This was inspiring. I'm really looking towards this future where this is all happening.
1: I'm pretty you, impressed
0: Tom. with your behavioral pairing idea. It's, uh, <laughs> it's completely <laughs> a way of thinking. It is. Thanks for uh, that. Appreciate it. Thank you. The pleasure is fully on my side. And this ends my conversation with Rana. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We'd value it if you would share your thoughts about this episode by leaving a review on iTunes. And if you got inspired by it, Please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Rana Gujaral, CEO of Behavioral Signals. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode.